0: Uh, this is a celebration. Uh, I know it's dark and there's candles and you could get the idea of this is a somber moment. Uh, but this is a celebration of what, uh, of, of what, God, is, what God has done and, and who God is. And I wanted to read a few uh, verses. For some of you, these might be uh, very familiar verses. Uh, they're verses that uh, speak to uh, the Christmas story. And as I read these few verses, um, I really want you to, uh, as best as you can, uh, Not just hear the words, but picture what is being said. Uh, Because if what is being said is true, um, it makes a world of difference. Uh, Not just for anyone, but for you, for for all of us here. This is uh, Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. It says this, The Lord himself will give you the sign. Look, the virgin will conceive a child, and she will give birth to a son. And we'll call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. This is Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. For a child is born to us, a son is given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. This is Micah, a few verses from chapter 5. But you, O Bethlehem, Epiphrath, "...are only a small village among the people of Judah. Yet a ruler of Israel will come from you, one whose origins are from a distant past. And he will stand to lead his flock with the Lord's strength and the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And then his people will live there undisturbed, for he will be highly honored around the world, and he will be the source of peace." And again, I read these verses when we began our time. The night, that night, there was, were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. And suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. And they were terrified. But the angel reassured them, don't be afraid, he said. I bring you good news. I bring you good news that will be great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David, and you will recognize him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth, lying in a manger. Now, maybe some of those verses are are not new. Maybe you've heard them before. I think one of the things that uh, connects these verses is they're, they're verses that speak to the Christmas story or the Christmas message. But let me ask you a very honest question. As you heard these different verses speaking to uh, a Savior coming, a Savior coming as a child, a Savior born uh, to a virgin, let me just ask a very honest question. Doesn't it all sound a, a bit absurd? If you're honest, doesn't it sound a little bit absurd? Max Lucado wrote uh, a great book called God Came Near, and one of his chapters um was called Absurdity in the Flesh, and this was a conversation he was having. It sounds rather absurd, doesn't it? You mean to tell me God became a baby. Think about this. You really mean to tell me God became a baby and that he was born in a sheep stable. And then after becoming a baby, He was raised in just a blue-collar home. He never wrote any books, never held any offices, yet he called himself the Son of God. He never traveled outside of his own country. He never studied at a university. He never lived in a palace, and yet asked to be regarded as the creator of the universe. And this crucifixion story, let's jump to Easter. He was betrayed by his own people. No followers came to his defense. And then he was executed like a common junkyard thief. And after the killing, he was buried in somebody else's grave. And then according to what's written, after three days in the grave, he was resurrected and made appearances to over 500 people. And all of this was to prove that God still loves his people and provides a way for us to return to him. And then the question is asked again, doesn't that sound rather, well, doesn't that sound rather absurd? If you really consider the Christmas story, let's just ask an honest question. Doesn't it sound a bit absurd? Now, certainly, if not many, the Christmas story, it's just a story. It's just a story to kind of make us feel good maybe once a year and make us feel good about our lives and the difficultness of our lives. And so, This is the work of great fiction. It's engaging, it's exciting, but certainly this cannot be true. It's it's literally too absurd to think something like this could have actually happened. Tonight, I just want to ask you another question. But what if it's true? What if it's not just a story? What if it's not just the work of fiction as it were? What if it's not just a story that's meant to encourage and inspire the human spirit? What if it's not a story? What if it actually happened? If you would, tonight, just for a few moments, indulge me and allow your mind to at least wonder. It's Christmas time. So in the next 10 minutes, would you just allow your mind to to wonder this one question? What if? What if? What if there is a God who really did come? What if there is a God who created you, knows you, and loves you? What if there is a God who wants you to know him? What if there is a God who wants you to have a relationship with you? What if there is a God who has a plan or a purpose for your life? What if there is a God who could satisfy your deepest longings and desires? What if there is a God who could heal your deepest wounds and hurts? What if there is a God who can give you rest? A God who could give you peace? What if there was actually There was, God actually loved us enough to show up so that we would not be alone. So that we would not have to wander through life wondering, well, who am I? And where did I come from? And what is the meaning of my life? And what is the purpose of my existence? Just indulge me for a minute. What if? What if it's not a story? What if it's all true? What if the Christmas story is not just a once a year type of story, but it's, it's actually the story of God. And what if it's the story of God, namely, the story about what God has done? Now, many of you know, if you've hung out with me for more than a few minutes, I'm a pretty big fan of C.S. Lewis. Uh, I am intrigued, I am inspired uh, by this man's life, by this man's journey. And I'm intrigued and inspired, not because my story parallels his story. Actually, my story is nothing like his story. I was the guy who grew up in church for a better part of my life. I was the guy that wrestled with some of life's toughest questions and most challenging questions. But I was also the guy that grew up and I had a belief that there was a God. And I had a belief that God wanted to know who I, who I am and a God who loved me. But that was not at all what C.S. Lewis's story was like. If you're familiar with C.S. Lewis, he was an atheist. He was a guy who did not believe in God and was very vocal about, there is no God, how could there be a God? But what I love about C.S. Lewis is he wasn't afraid to ask life's toughest questions. He wasn't too lazy to wrestle with things like meaning and purpose and existence. And as C.S. Lewis was, again, not afraid to go there, What's amazing about his journey is he traveled from atheism and he finally made a decision and said, you know what, I'm going to be a theist. I cannot any longer agree that there is no God. And so he became a theist. And it took C.S. Lewis three years from the point in time where he said, I at least believe there is a God. I don't know who God is. I don't know if I could actually know this God, but it took him three years to come to the point where he said, no longer an atheist, from theism, now I am a Christian. And in one of his journals, he said this, one of the reasons I believe Christianity, it's a religion you couldn't have guessed. One of the reasons I believe Christianity, it's a religion you couldn't have guessed. He's right. You couldn't make this stuff up. You could not have guessed that this is what God would do. This is, you couldn't make this kind of story up. And I think Sue's mentioned it earlier when we're uh, singing songs of worship, but what sets apart Christianity from any other world religion is the Christmas story, is that God came to us. The message from God to you is not work your way to me, search your way, you know, try to figure out because I'm just kind of playing this cosmic hide-and-seek game. The message of Christianity is no. No. I have come to you. And C.S. Lewis said it's a religion you just couldn't have guessed. If this is true, and again, please at least indulge me tonight with the question, what if? And I want to ask, really, if it is true, I have two questions. I just want to finish with this. And this is under the category of You're still thinking and considering, well, what if it is true? If it is true that he did come, that he did show up, that he did come as an infant baby born of a virgin in a very obscure village. If it is true that he did do that, then the two questions I have, number one would simply be this. Well, why did he come? Why show up? Why bother? Let's not make any assumptions Let's, let's really wrestle with, well, if he did come, then the obvious first question has to be, well, why did you come? What was the point? And here's the answer to that question. He came so that we could have peace with him. He came so that we could have peace with God. Now, this answer presupposes that we don't have peace with God. To answer the question that he came so we'd have peace presupposes that we don't have peace. I think one of the most difficult, most challenging things for us to come to terms with is that we are an imperfect people, that we are sinners who have sinned against God. We have offended God in our selfishness, our self-centeredness, our pride, our arrogance, our self-reliance. I've never met someone who actually believed that they're perfect, but I think one of the things that we just wrestle and struggle with is that, yes, I am a sinner and I have sinned against God. And if that's true, if it is true that we have sinned against God, then we don't have peace with God. And so why God came is so that we would have peace. Again, this is quoting the prophet Isaiah 700 years before Jesus came. Listen, the Lord's arm is not too weak to save you, nor is his ear too deaf to hear you call. It's your sins that have cut you off from God. Verse 8, they don't know where to find peace or what it means to be just and good. They have mapped out crooked roads, and no one who follows them knows a moment of peace. All of us have literally been cut off from God because we are people who sin. We just do our own thing. And because of that, we don't have peace. Now, as I consider why he came, the answer is simply that God desires us to have peace with him. So your next question is, well, how does an imperfect people have peace with a perfect God? The answer is Christmas. A perfect God has to come and make a way for imperfect people to have a relationship with a perfect God. He's got to do it. We we can't do it. And this is what Romans actually says. Therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith... We have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ, our Lord, has done. It's absolutely because of Jesus that we can have peace with God. Why did Jesus come as an infant, grew up as a man? So we'd have peace with God through faith in Christ. So Jesus came so that there would be a way for us to be with God. That's number one. Second question is, so the question is, why did he come so we'd have peace? Jesus made that possible. The second question is this, why did he come like this? Of all of the ways that he could have come, why did he come in the most humbling, dare I say, even humiliating fashions? If you remember verse 12 of of Luke chapter 2, and you will recognize him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes. In linen, in in a manger, in this obscure place in Bethlehem. Why did God, if he did come, why did he come like this? Of all of the ways, why did he do this? I think the simplest answer to that question is so that we would understand. So that you and I would actually understand. And what I mean by that is when you consider for a moment, not only what God did, but how he did it, It actually makes perfect sense. God becomes man so that man will know God. This is a a great story called, He Became One of Us. Not sure who wrote this, but it actually paints the picture. It's actually answering the question of why did God do it like this? And this is a great story that illustrates so that we would actually understand. There was once a man who didn't believe in God. And he didn't hesitate to let others know that he felt religion and religious holidays like Christmas, well, they were a lot of childish fairy tales. And he said that religion was a crutch for people who were too stupid to figure things out for themselves or too fearful to live by their own strength. If God were real, he sure wouldn't do some of the dumb things people said he did. Well, his wife, however, did believe in God. And she raised their children to also have faith in God, despite his disparaging comments. And on a Christmas Eve, his wife was taking their children to Christmas Eve service in the farm community in which they lived. And she asked him, as always to come, but he refused. What a lot of nonsense, he said. Why would God lower himself to come to earth as a man? That's ridiculous. And so she and the children left, and he stayed at home. And while they were gone, the wind and snow grew stronger until it was a blizzard. And as the man looked out the window, all he saw was blinding snowstorm. And he sat down to relax before the fire. And he knew his wife would not venture back on the road until the storm abated. And he knew there was good snow tires on their, on their car. So nothing to do except enjoy a quiet, peaceful evening. And then he heard a loud thump. Something had hit the window. And then another thump. And he looked out, but he couldn't see more than a few feet. And when the snow let up a little, he ventured outside to see what could have been "'beating on his window, and in the field near his house "'he saw a flock of wild geese. "'Apparently they had been flying south for the winter "'when they got caught in the snowstorm and couldn't go on, "'and they were lost and stranded by the storm, "'and they just flapped their wings "'and flew around the field in low circles, "'blindly and aimlessly, "'and a couple of them had flown into his window, "'and the man felt sorry for these geese, "'and he wanted to help them, "'and the barn would be a great place for them to stay,' he thought. It's warm. It's safe. Surely they could spend the night and wait out the storm. And so he walked over to the barn, opened the doors wide, and then watched, and he waited, hoping they could notice the open barn and go inside. But these geese just fluttered around aimlessly and didn't seem to notice the barn or realize what it could mean for them. The man tried to get their attention, but they just seemed seemed to scare them away, and they moved further and further from him. And he went into the house and he came out with some bread and he broke it up and he made a breadcrumb trail leading to the barn. They still didn't catch on. Now he was getting frustrated. And so he got behind them and he tried to shoo them toward the barn, but they only got more scared and scattered in every direction except toward the barn. Nothing he did could get them to go into the barn where they would be warm and safe. Why don't they follow me? He exclaimed. Can't they see this is the only place where they can survive this storm? And he thought for a moment and realized that they just wouldn't follow a human. If only I were a goose, then I could lead them, he said out loud. And then he had this idea. He went into a barn, got one of his own geese, and carried it in his arms, and he circled around behind the flock of wild geese. He then released it, and his goose flew through the flock and straight into the barn, and one by one, The other geese followed it to safety. He stood silently for a moment as the words he had spoken a few minutes earlier replayed in his mind. If only I were a goose, then I could save them. And then he thought about that, about what he had said to his wife earlier. Why would God want to be like us? That's ridiculous. And suddenly, it all made sense. That is what God had done. We were like geese, blind and lost and perishing, And God had his son become like us so he could show us the way and save us. That was the meaning of Christmas, he realized. And as the winds and the blinding snow died down, his soul became quiet and pondered this wonderful thought. And suddenly he understood what Christmas was all about, why Christ had come. Years of doubt and disbelief vanished like the passing storm. And he fell to his knees in the snow, and he prayed his first prayer. Thank you, God, for coming in human form to get me out of the storm. Like, if you really think about it, it makes perfect sense. Of all of the ways that God could lead us home, lead us to safety, lead us to right relationship with him, it makes perfect sense. That he would come as one of us so that he, Jesus, could lead us to God. I love this story. Why don't they follow me? Can't they see that there is only one place that they can survive? God came to us as he did so that we would know the way to God. Again and again in the New Testament, you see Jesus when he invites people, what does he say? He says, come, follow me. Over and over again, always inviting, just follow me. I know the way. I know the way that your soul longs to go. What I love about the first fishermen who actually heard this invitation from Jesus of come, follow me, is they didn't know much about Jesus, but they knew enough, and they knew enough that Jesus was worth following, and so they followed They didn't know that he was the savior of the world. They didn't know that he was God in flesh. They just knew that when Jesus invited them to follow, he was a man that was worth following. And about two and a half years into their journey of following Jesus, Jesus pops the question. He has a DTR, as it were, a define the relationship talk. And he looks to Peter and he says, Peter, man, you've been with me for two plus years. You've seen me and... Heard me and seen the amazing things I've done and the the lessons and the messages I've preached. Who do you say that I am? And Peter, you're the Messiah. You are the son of the living God. Matthew 16, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Why did he come like this? So we would follow. And where he leads is us to peace with God, a right relationship with God. I love Luke chapter 1. It's the prayer of Zechariah. And he says this, Praise the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has visited and redeemed his people. He has sent us a mighty Savior. And because of God's tender mercy, the morning light from heaven is about to break upon us, to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, and to guide us to the path of peace. Isn't that amazing? Of all the ways he could have come, he came like this. Why? So we could follow him. And he would guide us to the path of peace. That would be one of the reasons why he came the way he came. And I'll finish with this. I think the second reason of why he came the way he came, he just wanted you to know he loves you. He didn't want you to be confused as to how he feels about you. And I can't think of a more incredible demonstration of God's great love for you, for me, than doing what he did. Because he didn't have to come. He didn't have to show up. Clearly his response to our sin, our pride, our selfishness, our rebellion could have been like, well, I'm going to leave you to yourself. You clearly want to do your own thing, so I'm just going to let you do your own thing. But God, in an amazing demonstration of just how much he loves, he said, I will come. I will send a Savior. And this is what the Savior did for us in First Peter. Christ suffered for sins once for all time. He never sinned, but he died for sinners to bring you safely home to God. One of my favorite verses in the New Testament. To bring you safely home to God. Why did he come so we'd follow him? We would understand. He didn't send this superhero who had super, like, he sent Jesus as a man so that we would follow and he would bring us safely home to God. That's the good news of Christmas. And this is not just the good news for tonight and tomorrow. This is the good news for our lives. I love how Paul said it or Luke said it in Acts. This is the message of the good news that there is peace with God through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. You've indulged me long enough. My question to you as we started was, what if it's true? What if it's true? I don't want to finish the rest of uh, absurdity in the flesh. Doesn't that all sound rather, well, doesn't it sound just rather absurd? Well, yes, I suppose it does sound absurd, doesn't it? And then it began to dawn on me. What God did, it actually makes sense. However, why God did it absolutely is absurd. That type of love, it's just not logical. It's inexplicable. It doesn't have a drop of logic nor a thread of rationality. And yet, it's the very irrationality that gives the gospel its greatest defense. For only God could love like that. How absurd to think that such nobility would go to such poverty to share such a treasure with such thankless souls. But he did. In fact, the only thing more absurd than the gift is our stubborn unwillingness to receive it. It's absurd. But this is what God has done for us. Now, For me, it's, again, not so crazy to think that he did do this, but to get why he did this. I personally have never done anything that should merit God doing what God did. There's nothing that I've ever done in my life that would merit or earn or deserve such a thing as what God has done. And again, this is... This is grace. That's what grace means, undeserved gift. We didn't deserve it, but God came. I love how Ephesians chapter two talks about this, but God, so rich in mercy, he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It's only by grace that you've been saved. And God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we've done, so none of us can boast about it. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do good things he planned for us long ago. See, God had a plan for us, but sin broke that. And what Christ has done is come to bring us home safely to God so that we can live the lives God has purposed us to live. Now, for those of you here tonight who have believed and accepted the gift of Christmas, meaning the gift of Jesus, the one who brings you home safely to God, then I just have one thing to say to you. This Christmas Eve, tonight in this place, when we sing Silent Night, when you go home to your different places and and you celebrate, at some point tonight, would you just stop? If you've entered into the story, if you've received, if you've believed, then would you just say thank you? At some point tonight, if you are a Christian who's received Christ, would you just stop and be still and just say thank you? I love how Paul said it in 2 Corinthians, thank God for this gift, too wonderful for words. See, God's done such an amazing thing for us that I can't think of any other words except just to say thank you. And if you're here tonight, And this is not your story. For you, you're kind of like the man in the initial story that I I read. It just, why would I want, why would I ever accept God? It's just a religious crutch for people who are weak and can't do life on their own. If you've never entered into this story, receive the gift that God has for you. My encouragement to you tonight is this. If that's you, you've not received, well, one encouragement. Receive the gift. (laughs) Receive God's gift for you. The gift of having peace with God. The gift of having all sins forgiven. The gift of eternal life in heaven. And the gift of God's amazing love for you. Would you just receive this gift? It's free to you. God has done this for you. The gift of peace with God. The gift of having all sins forgiven. The gift of eternal life in heaven. And the gift of God's amazing love for you. If you've not received that, tonight, receive this amazing gift. C.S. Lewis, as he's reflecting on the night that he actually dropped on his knees and confessed God to be Jesus, again, in his journals reflected. He spent the entire afternoon and evening up until 3 a.m. with Mr. Tolkien. Many of you might know from the movie and the books, The Hobbit and Lord of the Rings. I've just passed on from believing in God to definitely believing in Christ, in Christianity. My long night talk with Tolkien had a great deal to do with it. I gave in and admitted that God was God and knelt and prayed, perhaps that night the most ejected and reluctant convert in all England. What I love about Mr. C.S. Lewis is he's, he's honest. But what I love about what he means when he writes that, I know this to be true. I can't live my life anymore acting as if it's not true. Because he was the one who asked the question, what if, what if, what if? And there came a point in time where he knelt down and he just prayed. And he confessed, Jesus, you're God. I can no longer deny who you are and I can't deny any longer what you've done and what it means for me. And he accepted. Tonight we're going to sing one more song together called Silent Night. And as we sing this, we're going to light our candles together. Hopefully there's still a candle on your chair. We'll light these candles together. And for those of you who have received Jesus, as we sing, as you have this candle, it's really just a way for us to reflect that Jesus said, I'm the light of the world. And just sing, but let your song be just a song of thank you. And for those who have not received, well, how do you receive? Well, like C.S. Lewis did and like countless people before and after him have done is they just prayed. They just expressed their heart to God. And so I'm going to have a prayer on the screen. And if your heart tonight is just like, I'm tired of acting like this is not true. I want to accept and receive and believe that Christ is who he said he is, who he claimed to be and If Christ means I can have peace with God, sins forgiven, life eternal, and the love of God in my life, I want to receive it. And this is the prayer. Jesus, I give thanks that you came as a demonstration of God's love for me and to lead me to God. (laughs) Jesus, I confess that without you I would be lost and separated from God because of sin. And by faith I receive you, Jesus, as God's gift to me, believing in my heart that you are God's Son, my Savior, Amen. If that would be an expression of your heart, if that would be your desire, let that be your prayer tonight to God. Father God, we give you thanks for doing the unthinkable, for doing what some would say is absolutely absurd. But God, tonight, just in this moment, in this time, I, I, Michael Davis, just want to say thank you. I just want to thank you that you did for me what I could never have done on my own. And God, I know that there are many men and women in this room and and kids as well who have received and accepted. God, I pray you would flood our hearts with just an overwhelming sense of gratitude at this gift that you have given us, the gift to have peace with you. And God, if there's just one, maybe more that are here tonight that have never received, God, then I just pray that that prayer on the screen, God, that that would just be an expression of their heart towards you. And tonight in this place, they would receive you, Jesus, as the greatest gift. As the greatest gift.